the total energy of the universe is exactly equal to zero. And Steve Hawking was there. It consists of many different pieces which do not talk to each other. Do you think that this carbon-type life was a necessary intermediate step in the existence of life? Hi, I'm Greg Mastrider, and this is my podcast on rationality, transhumanism, and trends of development in society. Today, here with me is Andre Linde, a Stanford professor and the founding father of the inflationary theory of the universe. Hi, Andre. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, the first question that arises for most of our viewers uh, who have not watched your lectures, I have, and I have been mind blown, but uh, most people haven't. So please explain for them in brief, in a couple of sentences, what the inflationary theory of the universe is about. Okay, this is something uh, similar to kind of magic trick. In the standard Big Bang theory, you needed to start with the same amount of particles which we have right now in the universe. In the universe right now, it is approximately 10 to the 90, 10 to the degree 90 particles, which is 1 billion of a billion of a billion of a billion of a billion. Okay. Uh, you got the yeah. idea. Uh, the total mass is about 10 to the 50 tons. So this is a huge baby. Now, according to the Big Bang theory, all of this universe was previously tiny, tiny, like one centimeter or smaller. And then suddenly it all started expanding. And uh, uh, when it was smaller, it's... Uh, total energy was actually much higher because it gave later part of its energy away when expanding. So the first question, who gave uh, to the universe all of this energy? Because how it is, you have no money in the pocket and in the morning you have a billion. So nothing like that happens in real time, right? All of these processes which started the universe, they all started simultaneously. And it was, okay, so why, why not? This was the beginning, right? But uh, here is a problem. If I am looking right now to the right of me and to the left of me, I can see to the right of me at a distance which is the age of the universe multiplied by speed of light. That's how far the signal goes. So I see at this distance. To the, the visible left of me, uh, universe, right? Visible universe, right? Yes. Uh, so what I can say is that the universe is bigger than what I see. And how far I see is this... 10 billion years, actually 14 billion years multiplied by speed of light. Actually, it's a little bit more than that, some coefficient, two or three, depending. Because what I see right now is actually at the moment is further away because the universe was expanding. I uh, see the objects which are just slightly uh, greater distance of me than the speed of light multiplied by the age of the universe. Now I see what is to the left. I see what is to the right, whatever the sides are. And then the left galaxies, people who live far away of me at this uh, 10 billion light years away, they see me, but they do not see what is to the right of me. Because for that, they would need to have another 10 billion years to wait. So what happens is that the universe right now, already at this time, it consists of many different pieces which do not talk to each other. And if I believe in the theory of the Big Bang, then at the beginning of the universe, in this tiny object, like one centimeter, there were about 10 to the 90 different regions which did not talk to each other, did not know that uh, other parts of the universe exist. So then the question is, how they, did they know that it's time for them to expand? Because I do not know uh, how my neighbor lives. I cannot say, hello, let's time, let's time, it's time to expand. Uh, so that's a problem. It's called horizon problem. Why our universe is homogeneous? Because right now, density uh, to the uh, right of me and to the left of me, density of the universe at this large scale uh, is almost equal to each other. It's uh, in, uh, to the right and to the left. Uh, they have the same average density with accuracy better than one in 10,000. So who polished the universe? And was it possible to polish the universe when your right hand does not know what the left hand is doing? Okay, So that is one of these issues. Why our universe does not rotate? Like our uh, 
sun, uh, our planet rotates about the sun. Our sun rotates about the center of the galaxy. Our galaxy rotates as a whole. Our universe does not rotate. What's wrong with it? Why our universe does not rotate? Why uh, up and right and uh, left, whatever, all of these directions approximately equal to each other. It's called isotropic. So there are some strange things about our universe which we could not understand in the context of the Big Bang Theory. And inflation came with a simple and magic idea, and this idea was first proposed by Alan Guth. Let's just start it, and let us grow exponentially fast, being in a vacuum-like state without any particles at all. Sounds crazy. In the vacuum there are no particles, I understand, but then the vacuum doesn't have any tendency to expand. Well, in the theory of elementary particles, uh, it's possible for vacuum to be very energetic. There are some fields which are called scalar fields, which look, if they are uniform, if they do not move, they look like vacuum state. You go through it, you don't notice it, but it may have very large energy density. And then it may decay. And if it decays, uh, then this energy goes to energy of particles. So particles can be created by the decay of vacuum state. Suppose you have one cubic meter filled with candies. So you have uh, well, 1,000 candies in one cubic meter. Now expand it 10 times. It's the same 1,000 candies inside. But the volume have grown a thousand times. So you will have only one candy per cubic meter now. It's the same thousand, but the volume have grown a thousand times. So in one cubic meter, you have one candy. Instead of that, the idea is this. You have this one cubic meter filled with heavy vacuum. Then this heavy vacuum exponentially grow. After some stage, it becomes, uh, well, uh, a thousand times greater than its original volume, okay? And then the vacuum decays. So the energy density inside the box is the same. It's nothing. It's vacuum. Vacuum did not change until it decays. So the energy density is the same. Box have grown a thousand times. The total energy is energy density multiplied by volume. It became a thousand times more. Sounds like cheating, sounds like magic trick. We know that energy does not appear from nowhere because the total energy of the universe is exactly equal to zero. This is the sum of energy of elementary particles plus energy of gravity. So when the universe expands in this vacuum-like state, energy of matter grows exponentially, whereas energy of gravity becomes uh, exponentially large but negative. So in total, everything is fine, but you have a kind of strange instability where you can pump energy from gravity and make it energy of matter. And then this vacuum decays, and it produces these candies. So now the total amount of candies, the total amount of protons, electrons, whatever particles from which we are built, uh, becomes proportional to the total volume of the universe. So if this stage of exponential growth was long enough, then you produce exponentially large number of particles. So you have a possibility to explain why you can start from practically nothing, and then you uh, get everything. And then while the universe was exponentially expanding, suppose it starts with some uneven shape universe, like very nasty looking universe, and then it expands, it grows, and when it grows, all of these inhomogeneities are stretching away. So what was previously very inhomogeneous thing, it continue being like, say you have uh, an, an, uh, an apple. An apple is not really spherical. But if you live on the surface of an apple, then when the apple expanded, you live on a tiny, tiny part of this surface and it looks completely flat and very, very homogeneous. So that's the trick. The trick is that you do not make, you do not change the shape of the universe, but you make it so large that you do not care about its shape. You just look at tiny part of the surface, which is stretched, which becomes homogeneous and flat. So that was a great idea. 
and it would be great if it worked. So uh, this was uh, um, uh, what uh, Alan Guth uh, uh, called inflationary cosmology, inflationary universe. Unfortunately, in the end of his own paper, he had written, sorry guys, there is a little bit of a problem. And this little bit is that this decay of vacuum, which is necessary for produce matter, this decay of vacuum looks like boiling of water. Boiling of water uh, uh, appears one bubble here, one bubble here, one bubble here, okay? So in boiling universe, these bubbles collide, and the universe becomes very messy, extremely inhomogeneous. All these advantages of the theory go away because you produce total mess. So here is this. Uh, what do you do about that? And for about a year, more than that, all of us were working on it. And eventually there were two papers, one by Alan Guth, together with Eric Weinberg, and another by Stephen uh, Hawking, together with some collaborators, uh, essentially saying that this idea is dead, uh, it's impossible to improve it. Uh, and thanks God, uh, mail from US and UK worked very badly in the direction of Russia. So I, <coughs> I received uh, this preprint after, uh, preprints after I already uh, improved it. Uh, so there was necessary to make this transition uh, from one vacuum to another, make it kind of gradual, uh, so that you do not have this well-defined bubble. So here uh, you have red and here you have white. And so uh, instead of that, you may have it like you have white and then it kind of become pinkish a little bit more and then gradually have red and then you have particles forming. And in that case, there is no uh, colliding bubble walls. Everything ends up normally. Universe just stretches and everything is fine. So I called this theory a new inflationary uh, scenario. And uh, it worked nicely, almost, because when I gave a talk about it, um, at first I gave this talk at some international conference in October 81 in Moscow, and Steve Hawking was there. And next day I was invited to uh, translate his talk uh, in Moscow University. And uh, usually Steve uh, would prepare for, well, for his lecture in such a way that his students would give a lecture and Steve just correct him a little bit and it would be easy for me to translate. But this time they did not prepare. So, so Steve say something very difficult to uh, understand. Then his students say some one word and then I translate this word. But then in the end, I understood what they're talking about. They were talking about inflationary cosmology, why it is impos impossible to make it work. So I start, instead of translating one word, I start giving a talk, essentially. So I was <laughs> ex explaining why it is impossible to improve it. So everything was smoothly for half an hour. And then in the end of this half an hour, uh, Steve said, uh, and recently there was a very interesting suggestion how to solve this problem by Andrea Linde, and I happily translated. And then he said, but this suggestion is totally wrong. And I translated. And for half an hour I was explaining everyone that my theory, which I will <laughs> first report yesterday, <clears throat> that it is impossible to make it work, it was not fun at all. I have never been in a more stupid situation in my life, I think. Uh, when uh, the talk was over, I said I translated, but I disagree. And do you want me to explain what is going on? He said, wow, wow. His students say yes. And then we rolled to some room, discussed, and then discussed, and then discussed. And then he told me, but you didn't tell this before. And whatever this repeated. And then he invited me to his hotel. And then he started photographing me, uh, showing me photographs of his family. And we became friends. So this was the beginning of new inflation. Uh, but one thing was right in the end that this theory survived only for one year because quantum fluctuations destroy homogeneity of this otherwise perfect universe. And I invented another scenario, which was called chaotic inflation. Alexei Starobinsky in Moscow, in fact, invented the scenario in 1980 
which was not originally called inflationary theory because his purpose was different. But it's actually happened to be also totally consistent version of inflationary theory. So inflationary theory started from that. So to summarize, the idea is take uh, initially empty universe. You can take it as small as you want. You can make it uh, in the beginning as empty as you want, except for it must have some piece of space filled with this energetic vacuum. And then let it expand and let this energetic vacuum give energy to normal particles. And after that, Uh, you get the universe, which is homogeneous, huge, has lots of particles around, and it does not rotate. Why it does not rotate? I remember this story about the way you can see it on this skating, when the ballerina rotates and then she spreads her arms and rotates and ceases to exist. So the universe, because of this rapid expansion, have spread its arms and it stopped rotating because of this fast spreading arms. So you have uh, with one uh, relatively simple idea. I mean, it's really, if you write equations, it's very, very simple. It's very difficult to understand what is going on. It looks impossible, contradicting many rules which we have. Uh, But then if you study, nope, it does not seem contradicting. It seems everything is all right. So using this simple idea, you suddenly can explain simultaneously many, many different things about the universe, which we couldn't explain otherwise. So that's the basic idea. Wow, let's take a step back. (laughs) Uh, So first of all, a great analogy with the apple. So we are like uh, bacteria on the surface of a huge uh, apple that has been stretched. That's why we see it as a straight surface because uh, it's it's huge and we don't know that it's curvy and that it has a different shape. That, that's good that you visualize and you understand. But uh, I didn't get uh, how you get from vacuum to particles. So the fact that vacuum has energy, uh, yeah. does this fact produce the particle? Oh, uh, this fact allows particle production. But the mechanism by itself is uh, the following. You have this scalar field, uh, and uh, I said that it looks almost like a vacuum if it does not move, if it is uniform. So expansion of the universe makes it uniform, but it cannot stop it moving. If it was in an energetically disfavorable state, and then it starts falling down, then it starts moving. So once it starts moving, it comes to the new vacuum, and it starts oscillating back and forth near this vacuum. And the oscillating uh, fields, they can produce elementary particles. They stop oscillating, giving energy to energy of normal particles. This is not an easy story. Uh, this all requires uh, well, knowledge of quantum field theory in curved space. But once you know the general principle uh, uh, then it's uh, no more complicated than any other <laughs> quantum field theory. I, I mean, uh, some things about inflation, they seem crazy, okay? Uh, but if you look at any particular part, calculations which require uh, to check how the theory works, they are not crazy. In each particular step, you just check that what you're doing is right using regular methods of uh, classical field theory, quantum field theory, general relativity. So you came up with this theory and uh, uh, improved it in the 1980s with your colleagues, right? Uh, mostly, but I continued uh, doing it as well as many other people because after the uh, after it became clear that you can make the theory work, there are lots and lots of other people involved. And in fact, even before we formulated uh, the inflation theory in the way how it is in uh, Moscow, in the same uh, institute with me, Lebedev Physical Institute, there were a couple of people, Mukhanov and Chibisov, who studied quantum fluctuations in Starobinsky model, which, as I said, was uh, well, uh, one of the versions of inflationary cosmology. Okay? And they found that quantum fluctuations uh, in, during inflation, when the universe is stretched, you take small fluctuation, a small size, it becomes 
long wave because the universe stretched it, a large size fluctuation. But during this process, the amplitude of fluctuations does not change during the stretching. It's, it's a tricky effect. Then other quantum fluctuations add up to this, and all of them together, they form new inhomogeneities in the universe. So you start with whatever inhomogeneous, whatever non-uniform universe, then you stretch it, it becomes classically, at the classical level, it becomes extremely homogeneous, 100% homogeneous. But then quantum effects produce tiny inhomogeneities. And the theory of these inhomogeneities was uh, studied starting from this paper by Mohanov and Chibisov in 81. And then in 82, there were a group of people uh, in the UK, in the United States, also including Alan Guth and Steve Hawking, others, who developed this theory and this development continue goes uh, right now, which does which says the following: when you make the universe so homogeneous, it's like it's great, it's beautiful, but where are the galaxies? You need to have galaxies. So either they should pre-exist, so then the universe is inhomogeneous, and you see this inhomogeneity after inflation. Or you create the galaxies somehow. So this strange mechanism of creation of quantum fluctuations tells you that galaxies are children of quantum fluctuations. You have homogeneous universe, you produce quantum fluctuations, you stretch them, you add new, stretch them, and all of this configuration becomes not a very strong but still sufficient in homogeneity for galaxies to start growing at this place. So galaxies have been produced by quantum fluctuations. And then in addition to that, when you look at the sky and you see that sky doesn't have the same temperature in all directions. In this direction, uh, temperature of the sky, this is cosmic microwave background radiation, temperature of the sky is 2.7 Kelvin. Very, very tiny. When I'm talking about temperature of the sky is that when there was, well, when these particles were produced after inflation, they collided with each other and the universe became hot. So it was like Big Bang, but after inflation. And then when the universe expanded, this temperature drops down and it be became approximately 2.7 Kelvin, which is really, really non-energetic. It's almost kind of radio waves. So what we see is from all parts of the sky, we receive these particles corresponding to radiation with very small temperature, 2.7 Kelvin. But then when people start looking at it with great precision, they found that it is 2.7 plus minus uh, 1 divided by 100,000. Almost impossible to observe, but these guys, experimentalists, they are unbelievable. So satellites mapping the sky, this WMAP, this is Planck satellite recently, but before that, Kobe satellite, people got Nobel Prizes for Kobe satellite, finding these fluctuations. And these fluctuations, you see them like slightly different energy coming from different parts of the sky, and you want to know explanation, and explanation is the same inflationary perturbations we are responsible for galaxies. So you get all of this experimental data bringing different consequences of inflationary theory together, and people check whether it matches inflationary theory, and basically it does. Okay? We used to think that quantum is quantum. It's something tiny. It's for, like, structure of atoms, maybe. Well, uh, but quantum fluctuations during inflation produce galaxies. So this is as insane as it possible that we live in, inside a galaxy, which are, we are much smaller than a galaxy. So how can I think that I am a grand-grandchild of a big quantum fluctuation <laughs> in the early universe? And that's, yeah, that's one of these parts. And then uh, when you study the theory, makes sense, people checked each other. People checked each other many, many times, calculations and everything. And they all agree that, yeah, calculation is fine, but the result is crazy. But, so sorry, this is what we see on the sky. So this is, nobody knows, of course, for sure. But it looks like there's a good, very good chance that the theory is just right. 
despite the fact that it pre- predicts the strange, strangest possible things. Uh, yeah. Is there currently a scientific consensus around uh, the inflationary theory? Is this like the mainstream theory? Well, it's uh, always difficult uh, to make a generic statement about that. Uh, but just to give you a practical example, which is uh, sociology maybe, uh, the Planck satellite, which is the most advanced satellite studying Uh, cosmic microwave background radiation, the most famous experiment, $1 billion, okay? Uh, lots of people in Europe, uh, in uh, different countries, working uh, to check this cosmic microwave background radiation. They uh, uh, have written several different papers comparing the data with experimental data. And in particular, to explain it, uh, to, well, to explain what we see, they compared it with predictions of different theories. So in the beginning, they compared it with inflation, and then maybe a little bit of cosmic strings, maybe some alternative models, etc. In the latest data releases, they mention an alternative theory in one sentence, and everything else is about which inflationary theory describes it better. Once again, this does not prove that this is what we are going to live with uh, like uh, 20 years from now. Maybe people will invent something smarter and people are trying and sometimes they claim that we already did it. Uh, well, so we will see. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm happy about what is going on there. Let's see. Let's wait. Yeah. So the current uh, scientific uh, advancements uh, prove or at least give some further ground uh, to that theory, right? Yes, that's what I see. Uh, okay, so uh, another topic uh, that arises out of this is the idea that we live, uh, in fact, not in a universe, but in a multiverse. Can you please uh, explain how this follows from your theory? So suppose uh, your universe is, uh, well, a red universe, which is of uneven shape, whatever, and then it all expands exponentially. And it continues being red, it just becomes locally very homogeneous and uniform, which is what inflation does. But what if you start with a universe, which is like a football? Uh, one part is white and then black, white, black, white, black, okay, like a normal uh, football. Then when it expands exponentially, white part becomes exponentially large and white. Black part becomes exponentially large and black. So you have a set of different parts of the universe with different properties. And the guy who lives on the white part, he will look around and say, oh, the universe is white, because I do not see any other types, because a black part of the universe is exponentially far away, so I don't see it. So our universe must be white. I don't know why it must be white, but I must construct a theory which explains why the universe must be white. And the guy living in the black universe will look around and say, yeah, our universe is black. I know it because everywhere I see it's only black. So I must construct a theory which would explain why the universe must be black. Now imagine that instead of the two-color uh, football, you have multicolored uh, football. Black, white, yellow, green, uh, violet, whatever. And then each part of it expands exponentially and you get different universes, which are well, black, white, yellow, green, violet, different colors. Yeah. Then you have different universes, so to say, which do not talk to each other because they are, it's not that they are far away from each other, they are boundary uh, between them. But the white area is so large that people living there, they don't know anything about the red ones. And each, each of them will try to explain why the universe must be the way it is, because this is the main goal of science, right? Okay, we want to explain what is happening with us. And there is another possibility that you can live in white, you can live in red, and just where you have been born. It's just like if the China would be exponentially large, okay, and Russia exponentially large, then Russians would never know about Chinese. They have their laws uh, in Russia, they have uh, uh, their laws 
in the US they have their laws. And each of them will try to explain why our laws are the only ones which are possible and right mm-hmm. and everything must be just exactly like it is here. Uh, but there is this uh, different perspective, which I called cosmopolitan perspective. That's what really may happen in the universe. Of course, it may happen only if you can have a reasonable theory which would predict it. If you have this scalar field and the scalar field falls from its uh, unstable state to some stable vacuum. The question is whether this stable vacuum is only of one type or there could be many. We know that, in fact, it can be many. But before going there, just one simple example from chemistry. Uh, You have water. Uh, Water is H2O, right? So you have water, but water can be solid, can be liquid, it can be gas. Same water. Same chemistry, but different properties. People call them different phases, okay? You have different phase of uh, water. Now, suppose that you are a captain of a ship on this uh, sea, and you see all your life, all your life, only liquid water. Then you'll be happy, and you will not think about the possibility to crash into the iceberg. So this is better, perhaps, to know what is actually possible within the same theory. It is not something crazy. It is not something obnoxious, uh, well, super invented by somebody. But just this simple example shows you what is possible. Suppose you have electromagnetic theory. Electromagnetic theory describes a light with all different colors. Green, yellow, whatever color it is. Uh, If you know that the same theory, just saying electromagnetic theory, does not mean that you know the color. You have electromagnetic theory with green light, with red light, you know it, you drive the car, you know. Okay, so uh, this in translation to what we know about the vacua, uh, there is a theory which nobody knows whether this is really the theory of everything, but this is an interesting candidate which people study for many years. It's called string theory. Long, long, long uh, ago, when people started developing this theory, they kind of complained that in this theory there are too many vacua. Not that they uh, really constructed all of them, because it was really very complicated, but they have seen that the conditions for constructing are pretty broad, and uh, you usually have lots of them. So when uh, I have this vision of this multicolored universe, I said, look, this is not a disadvantage. This is an advantage. Because then you have all of these different laws of physics corresponding to different vacua. In different vacua, properties of elementary particles may be different. Then you have this huge number of different vacua, and depending on which vacuum you happen to be born, then you have different laws of physics uh, describing these parts of the universe. And if there are many then it's just good because you do not need to explain everything that you see. However, there is one thing which is a property of all of this vacuum where you can live, and that is that you can live there. You would not even try to explain why I live in the vacuum where I cannot live. No, I make my experiments. This is about the part of the universe where I live, so by definition, I live here, okay? So there is a correlation between my ability of living in the universe of certain color, okay? There is a correlation between me and the universe where I can live. Like dolphins can live in water. I can live only on dry land. Again, there is nothing metaphysical about it. I cannot live, uh, well, born, breathe in water. And I cannot live in interstellar space. So there is a correlation between the places where I can live and my own properties. There is nothing wrong about it. Then I'm looking at this multiverse and I say, well, interesting. It's anthropic principle, which I despised and many other people despised for many, many years because they were saying, the universe the way it is because God created it the way so that I will be able to uh, yeah, uh, to exist there. And Hawking used to joke, I wouldn't believe 
that uh, well the the god created the universe for a benefit of this particular type of monkey uh, well so what happens in this multiverse theory is that the universe eternally producing itself in all of its different copies uh, all of different colors corresponding to different laws of physics uh, working in different parts of it and then when we look at different parts we say in this one I cannot live in this one I cannot live this one where I can live what kind of properties it must be like for example study mass of the proton and mass of the neutron we know that mass of the proton almost coincide with the mass of the neutron if mass of the proton would be 1% heavier then all protons will decay into neutrons and our universe would consist only from neutron stars. If a neutron would be 1% heavier than proton, then there will be no uh, complicated nuclei, only hydrogen. So the universe would have only hydrogen. We cannot live in the universe like that. So now I say, oh, okay, I have lots of different vacuum state and string theory. In some of them, neutrons are heavier than protons. In some of them, protons are heavier than neutrons. But I cannot live in these universes. I can live in this one. That explains why the masses of neutron and proton are so close to each other. Huh, interesting. Let's check about the electron. The mass of the electron is 2,000 times lighter than the mass of the proton. Why 2,000 times? Who gave this number? Well, if it were 10 uh, times heavier or 10 times lighter, we would be unable to live in this universe. Huh, interesting. So coincidence. Vacuum energy. Vacuum energy in general, it can be humongously large, extremely large, maybe even negative. Huh. If uh, vacuum energy is negative, the universe is like that, they are very quickly collapse. If vacuum energy is large and positive, then the universe expands so fast that it tears everything apart, galaxies would not form. So I can live in the universe where the vacuum energy is very tiny. Let's check what experiment gives us. For many, many years, people tried to uh, prove that vacuum energy must be zero. They could not do it. Then experimentally, they found that vacuum energy is really extraordinarily small. But if it were a thousand times more than that, then galaxies would not form. So here we know the explanation, a possible explanation of why vacuum energy is so small. And to make sense out of this explanation, you really need to have something like multiverse. Because so, otherwise, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. So because uh, there is an infinitesimal uh, amount, uh, number of these uh, universes where life would not be possible, protons would not uh, form or, or vacuum would not have energy, right? Because there are a large number of universes of all types, uh, the ones where we cannot live and the ones where we can live. And in fact, of course, I, I would guess that the number of the universes where we can live is much smaller, okay? So you just have a subset of all possibilities. In essence, this is something which uh, Murray Gilman uh, called environmental uh, principle. There are some uh, properties of physics which are fundamental. Like you have some fundamental laws, like law of gravity, whatever. Okay, And there are some parameters of the theory which may or may not have any fundamental explanation. And that is similar to what I told you about water and, and, uh, and ice. <clears throat> Both are possible. It's just temperature in one part was uh, smaller and then the water was frozen. Okay, so uh, what you may have, you may have the, indeed the universe with different coupling constants, with different masses in different parts of the universe. And... Uh, you try to find an explanation to all of these constants. And for some, there are some relations between them. And then you won a big game. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. If you can have explanation, scientific, full explanation, without using anthropic principle, then it's fantastic. This is what all of us want to do. But sometimes how much you try, you cannot find this explanation, and actually the parameters are totally ugly, 
very strange, random looking, etc. And there are only one non-random part about them, that if they would be considerably different, then we would be unable to live in the universe where we couldn't measure these parameters. So this is a strange way of thinking about the world. And if we really we would not have this option to have a universe of this type and the universe of that type, then this uh, way of thinking would be meaningless. So yeah. what, uh, what I'm trying to say is something kind of tricky, because uh, many people who do not like the theory of multiverse, they say that is typical, uh, or metaphysics, etc. Just think about it. If you live in the white universe and this exponentially large and you never uh, see a black universe, then saying that the black universe may exist looks like metaphysics to you. You will never prove it. And this violates some of the basic principles of physics. Uh, you must have reproducible results of experiments. You must verify everything. And yeah. only after that you have a theory which you can trust. Uh, if you do not have any experimental evidence in favor of existing existence of the black universe, and you just speculate about it. It's just like speculating about the life after death, etc. Until you have reliable evidence of that. Uh, well, who knows? Maybe we have, but uh, maybe we don't. So then we can argue. But about this black universe by construction, it's exponentially far away from us. So do we have any experimental evidence in favor of it? And here I say something which may be a little bit strange sounding. We have this experimental evidence because really? we have because we have many experimental data, like smallness of the cosmological constant and uh, coincidence between proton and neutron mass and the smallness of the electron mass and particular value of the electron charge. If you change it several times, life as we know it would be impossible. And the only way to explain uh, many anthropic coincidences is to assume that the universe is a multiverse, that you have this choice. If you do not have this choice, then the experimental data are unexplained. So, anyway, this means that you have experiments, you have experimental data, and this experimental data have explanation only if you assume that the multiverse exists. Or if you assume that we are just incredibly lucky to have all... Uh, yes, uh, yes, this factors. is also this is also right. And there is also a possibility that our universe is created with a particular set of laws, and only the uh, devices of a special type which have computational abilities have been created there. So maybe we should start from the different end of the problem. Maybe we should start that saying that the loss is fixed and life by itself. Well, it, it just appears only if it is possible. And if, for example, uh, there were no weak and strong interactions, life as some say, way of information processing would be possible in completely different form. This is something which is not entirely stupid. Looks a little bit strange, but that is one part of science which we must take increasingly seriously. We know that there is a correlation between our properties and the properties of uh, the universe where we live. So we try to go both ways. What could be if we were different and what could be if the multiverse is different? And I guess only if we take both these options into account, then we have a better chance to explain everything that we see. Uh, sometimes I have this vision of a conference hall uh, populated by robots a hundred years from now, and they are uh, involved in a very complicated discussion. Do you think that this carbon-type life was a necessary Uh, uh, intermediate step in the existence of life or it was actually inevitable and so this will be a scientific uh, problem for them 
So we are kind of anthropically centered in a sense. We think that this is our life and that is a life. Okay. And uh, it is not necessary to think this way. I'm just saying that there are many things which are really demonstrably crazy. Sometimes we are receiving letters from, well, sometimes, every week, almost every day. I am receiving letters from people who suggest uh, alternative explanations of everything that we see around. And the problem with this is usually people do not know really uh, science and they suggest something which is not even wrong. But on the other hand, if you uh, uh, stop allowing yourself a little bit of freedom just to go slightly out, study different ways of asking the same questions or study different questions to be asked. Before creation of inflationary cosmology, nobody really was focused on explaining why the universe is so large. We just knew that the universe is large. So asking question why the universe is large is meaningless. Here is a universe. This is big. Okay. Now, when we learned that inflation can explain why it is big, then you stop thinking about it like a meaningless question. And then, uh, then you ask another question, why the universe uniform? And then step after step after step, these meaningless questions happen to have one relatively simple answer. And then this answer, in addition to the answer to these questions, also uh, explains some properties of our world which we did not know uh, exist, like this spectrum of cosmic microwave background radiation founded by uh, Kobe and then uh, Planck satellite. So new experimental data. And this new experimental data we are not just explaining, but the theory predicts them, and then there is some agreement. So then you see that sometimes asking a little bit crazy questions may be okay. Well, if you know how to answer them. Uh, do you think that uh, the simulation theory proposed by, uh, I think, the Swedish uh, philosopher Nick Bostrom uh, may be true, may explain all this? The theory that we are all living inside a simulation. I do not know whether uh, we should say that it's an explanation or whether this is one of these crazy things which are not totally impossible And uh, definitely he was not the guy who invented it. Uh, I remember myself uh, when I was in a nice grade in school in Moscow. And we formed science fiction club. And we were reading some stuff. And I well, was thinking about science fiction as well. Yeah, it's fiction. And then somebody have uh, read uh, a story of Stanislav Lem when... Uh, Jon Tichy returned back to Earth and uh, some crazy scientist invited him in his lab. And in his lab there were lots of different boxes standing and he asks, what do you think the boxes are? Some lots of wires going there. And he said, I don't know. Well, these are brains. And I feed them with information from this huge computer which I have here. And how do you know that you see a flower, for example? Your eyes get these uh, signals, which are red and some shape, etc. So I'm sending uh, this brain shape of a flower, and I send uh, them an information of his hands and of his hands having this flower. So I am sending him all information about his environment. In this box, there is a scientist In this box, this is a beautiful woman. Each morning she looks at herself and there is some scar on her shoulder. And all details about all of this. And this scientist, he is crazy. He thinks that God created him, <laughs> whatever. When, when I uh, read this, I was actually absolutely shocked because it told us that we must question lots of deep issues, study different Uh, answers to stupid questions like how do you know that you really exist and not in this black box uh, in the laboratory. It still remains a very interesting question which I study. My response to that at that time 
was that I immediately uh, realized, I started reading books on philosophy and realized that there is no easy uh, answer to this question among philosophers. Uh, I was kind of disappointed, but then I started developing a theory of consciousness because I thought that if I see apple, then actually my understanding that this is a real object comes from my experience. I see, I, I have well, the feeling uh, I see this red. I have this taste. Okay, so taste, I know taste exists. I know sweetness. I know pain exists. I don't know about apple. I don't know about uh, computer, etc. I know that my vision exists. I know my consciousness exists. Everything else is secondary. And I quickly invented the theory of telepathic contact, which allows to explain why mother feels the same as his child. Okay, very, very smart theory. I was really, really proud of myself. How old were you? <clears throat> Uh, I was in ninth grade, I guess, ninth maybe grade. Okay. 14, whatever. <laughs> okay, uh, but I was proud for about a year. And after that, I realized that in the theory, I relied on the concept of the mother and the child having the same uh, feeling simultaneously. And then I remembered that sometimes, like in the eighth grade, I read something about special theory of relativity, which uh, claimed that the concept of simultaneity is ill-defined because when you move or when you stay, some things which seem simultaneous are not. And then I realized that my theory had this rotten part in the heart of it. So in order to uh, do something smart, something clever, I must actually study physics because uh, if I don't do it, then I would live with my theory of consciousness. I would always believe that I'm a genius, but I would be just a stupid fool simply because I did not learn the rules of the game. Uh, so be- before this uh, part, I was I wanted to be a physicist. Then this was this strange stage where I realized that consciousness is also important. And then I realized that if I want to say something about that, I need to know physics first. So this is what I'm doing right now. I study universe simply because it's simpler. But I think that the theory of us and consciousness is more interesting and fundamental, but it's more complicated. It would be for other people to do, perhaps. Maybe I will. (laughs) Well, whatever. So that's how it is. Thank you for such a thought-provoking discussion, Andre. Thank you to our viewers and listeners for joining in. Support my content with a like and uh, with your subscription. Hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube. Rate my podcast on iTunes and other podcasting services. I'm Greg Mustreader. See you next week.